This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance Podcast number 96. Uh, with me from the hills of India, Varun Mathur. Hi, Varun. Hello, hello. Hiroyuki Hamada in Long Island. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. Corey Morningstar in Toronto. Hi, Corey. Hi. And Johan Edebo uh, in Sweden. I don't know where. You're up north? I'm up north, yes. Yeah. Good evening. <clears throat> Yo. Hi, Johan. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, we can start wherever you guys want. I mean, there's obvious, um, there's an obvious sort of lead story, but, um, but there's also a lot of other things to talk about. So uh, whoever wants to go first. You go ahead, yeah, but, uh, Johan, with the thing yeah, that you sure, wanted sure. to implement. Yeah, let me let me just. Uh, I I read this snippet. I'm I'm reading casually Darwin's voyage. I don't think it has a, a title, but it's his his diary from his uh, what is it circumnavigation of, of the Earth. Uh, I I don't know. It's it's a very interesting book. It gives you these uh, these images of of various. Uh, various localities during the 1830s so it's quite a fascinating read but it also gives uh, a good picture of this uh, well the colonialist mindset and then the outlook of the the upper elite of the british empire and, and uh, i just stumbled across this uh, he's in south america uh, in the south of south South America and reflects on the the governments of the tribes and uh, he he says here that uh, the the perfect equality among the individuals composing the the Fuegian tribes this land of fire of, of uh, southern South America this equality must for a long time retard their civilization and he goes on as we see those animals whose instinct compels them to live in society and obey a chief are most capable of improvement so is it with the races of mankind so, so whether we look at it as a cause or consequence the more civilized always have the most artificial governments and i, I think this is a this is an interesting starting point so equality is to him detrimental to progress and and development of, of the innate potential of civilization so yeah yeah and and maybe this Connects somehow to your recent article, Corey, which I think we should should okay. dive into as soon as we can. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Let me start. Um. So, when was it? A couple of days ago. The days just run into each other this year. But anyway, a couple of days ago, I posted some stuff. I've been um, basically accumulating tabs. My computer now, my laptop's open to you know hundreds of tabs again, like always, and it's a tab nightmare. And I wanted to write in depth. I love writing and getting into the um, you know tiny, tiny detail. Like I, that's what I really like to do. But it's important stuff, so I decided just to throw something together quickly. Um, so I hope people will go and read it. It's on the wrong kind of green. On the title, I gave it um, watch, and at the very end, it's uh, um, I'll get to that at the end of the article. It's a lecture by a very good journalist. Um, the title is Understanding the Depraved and Growing Kahanist Ideology Within the Netanyahu Government. 
And I can't even really recall when I came across this um, this group and this Kahanist ideology, which I'd never really heard of before. But somewhere within the past, since this podcast, I believe, within the past three weeks, I, I came across this Kahanist ideology, which really um, piqued my interest and sort of started reading about it. And um, the lecture is called Kahanistan, How the Jewish Far Right Remade, Remade the Mainstream. Um, sort of the main central character to this article is Ben Beer, who's the Israeli Minister of National Security. And um, here's a quote from him. The only thing that needs to enter Gaza are hundreds of tons of explosives from the Air Force, not an ounce of humanitarian aid. Um, it goes on, basically, he is the head of the Atsama, let me see if I can say this right, Atsama Yehudit um, political party that's part of the coalition government of Israel, um, led by um, Netanyahu, who's taken office as prime minister for the sixth time, um, which happened last November 1st of 2022. So this party, the Atsama Yehudit party, is led by Veer. So Veer, National Security Minister of Israel, is an influential Kash, and I hope I'm saying that right, Kash activist whose media popularity is really growing in Israel. And this can't really be understated um, how he's become this actual media darling because of all the, he, what he says is so shocking that people um, tune in and listen to him and he's becoming really, really influential. Um, he's a lawyer who's been convicted of incitement to racism and supporting a terrorist organization. Um, and it's funny because when you look here, there's nothing written about this party or that or or these people within the party that lead the party in the Western mm. media, like absolutely mm. nothing. But if you look in Israel, in the Middle East, everyone knows who this party is and the people involved in the dangers around the ideology espoused by these extreme right people. And so there was a lot of writing and articles sounding alarm bells, dire warnings, right? That came from Israeli citizens, Jewish citizens abroad, international leaders with the knowledge of this party and, and Ben Beer and this depraved Kahanist ideology. And then I, I've read that it's expected that Beer will become a senior partner in Israel's next big next um, government. And then it just goes on to talk. Um, I have a cover off the Jewish news um, about this party. Where's the outrage? You know that this that these and this is prior to the election, um, just a couple of weeks prior. You know where's the outrage that it's even possible that this party could come into power? Um, so this party is derived from Tash, and again, I, I'm not even sure if that's the right pronunciation. Um, it's extraordinary to note that this party, Kash, is designated as a terrorist organization by Canada, the European Union, Japan, Israel, and until recently, the U.S. On May 20th of this year, the United States removed this party from its list of foreign terror organizations, which is super interesting. Um, so Kash and Kahane Chai were officially banned in 1994, with accordance to Israel's 1948 anti-terrorism laws, after um, a leading figure of that party expressed support 
for Baruch Goldstein, a right-wing extremist who massacred 29 Palestinians at, at the Cave of Patriarchs in February 1994. Mir Kahane, the founder of the Kahanist movement, or it could be Kahan, uh, was assassinated in New York in 1990. Um, yeah, recently, I just, let, I, yeah I, go ahead. Because I think if people don't know, the one thing people may remember is the assassination of Meyer or Mayor Kahana in New York, because he ran the Jewish Defense League, and they were like the ultranationalist Gestapo in, uh, and there were a lot of conflicts with Orthodox Jewish organizations and, and uh, the Rebbe at the time in New York and Brooklyn and so forth. And he was a very controversial figure and espoused, incited violence. I mean, that was his, that was his gig. So he became a notorious kind of, you know, the a, a code for uh, inciting violence, ultranationalism. You just said Meyer Kahan and everyone went, oh, those people, they're nuts and they're dangerous and the JDL is dangerous. And my memory of it, because I lived in New York right before that, my memory of it was that that the that people were afraid of them uh, to the degree that they were so unstable, so unpredictable and such extremists and it surprised nobody that they were put on the uh, terror watch list and that the police got involved and so forth and so on. Anyway, I didn't want to interrupt you, but Kahana no, was, great. Is, an, is a name that people in the United States probably will remember. Actually. That's great. So I'll change my pronunciation of his of that. So Mayor Kahana. Um, so there was a, a participation honoring, actually, Mayor Kahana in November of 2022 and the U.S. State Department, Ned Price actually made a statement uh, celebrating the legacy of a terrorist organization is abhorrent. There's no other word for it and um, expressing outrage, which is interesting since just a few months before they had lifted it from the terrorist list. Um, in September 2022, again, just a, a, you know, a few weeks uh, before the elections, um, there was a satire show in Israel. They aired a musical skit, and you can watch it. I'm actually going to put in the video right now. I have a picture. And it it's implicit, it implicitly compares far-right um, beer with Nazi dictator Adolf Hitler, right? And then they, the song and dance number is based on the iconic springtime for Hitler. There's a person, an actor that comes out that looks just like this beer, right, who is like overweight and sweaty and, you know, so grotesque because of what he says and who he is. And so that's really something to see because every, in the background, you see all the Kosh symbols of the terrorist organization, everyone wearing these symbols. Right now in, in Israel, you have youth groups wearing these t-shirts and, and waving these flags, you know, that um, come from the Kahana. So where, where do I want to go with that? Basically, people can can read this. There's a, Veer is also a founding member of the La, La, La Hava movement. I don't know, again, if I'm pronouncing that right. It's a far-right Jewish supremacist organization that strictly opposes Jewish-Arab intermar intermarriage, right? Oh, so again, like another fucked up, 
um, white supremacist um, Zionist organization um, that actually, um, who is it? Last year, more than once, different ministers in Israel want to also have this movement, this organization designated as a terrorist organization. And Lahava actually shares headquarters with the political party. Um, so anyway, getting to the point, this grotesque Kahanist ideology now serves as the heartbeat and guiding light for the third largest political force oh. in Israel. I mean, how is it possible that the whole world does not know this, you know? And why, yeah. as Johan said, like, why is no one writing about this in Western media at all? And so you have this horrific ideology. Now we bear witness to the mass ethnic cleansing of Palestine, right? Um, Johan wrote a great article earlier this week. You know, basically, I say we bear witness to genocide. Never again is an empty phrase. Dead eye colonized subjects yawn. Empire ticks another box right, instructs media apparatus to move collective gaze to Taylor Swift and other insignificant headlines and news stories that compete with the vast spectacle of trivi trivial prattle. And then I just end it with this lecture by David Sheen, which is incredible and people should watch it. And I've been trying to, you know, read his work when I can. He has a book he's put out about how the Democrats have been supporting this Kahanis movement. Um, and I'm sure the Republicans as well. I'm pretty sure he's he's a leftist, um, doesn't really matter, but I think he is. Anyway, he's Jewish and he has just a treasure trove of information that's really, really vital right now. And then I'll just stop there. Well, the David Sheen uh, lecture, that there's a video of it, a YouTube video of it, I believe, uh, that's in Corey's article on Wrong Kind of Green, is essential viewing. And I've been telling people this since I heard it. Uh, this is where we this this is the conversation we need to have. Listen to this lecture, because he tracks meticulously and exhaustively the beginnings from uh, the Meyer Kahana's original group and and the Jewish Defense League and. Um, then his assassination and his son who took over but was quickly kind of ousted by this other guy who was more charismatic and what's his name Gopstein and there were a number of, of the kind of early figures and uh, and they what, what happened in Israel it seems to me in a strange kind of way mirrors what happened in the United States that there was this this um, incremental but uh, but but consistent drift rightward, and in the case of uh, Ben Gavir, Itamar Ben Gavir, uh, who became the the head of the party, and for a variety of reasons that some of which escape me, became enormously uh, popular, uh, and he's oh, but he's always been incredibly controversial i think the new yorker called him the the, the something the mayor of chaos or something and this was a few years ago but it but it was but it was mild it it didn't really quote the things they said um baruch goldstein the guy who corey just mentioned who 
killed 29 mass murder 29 palestinians at the cave of the patriarchs which is i think the third or fourth holiest site in islam uh is seen his picture adorns the walls of the uh, uh party headquarters the guy who mass murdered 29 palestinians uh and i yeah. think one of the one of the heads of the party said there will be a street one day in Tel Aviv named Baruch Goldstein Boulevard. Um, this guy was a mass murderer. But but more telling in a certain way are are little details that that they are uh, unrepentantly uh, racist. They're all for Jewish purity. They're against intermarriage. They're deeply homophobic. Something the Western media doesn't touch at all because western media likes to talk about the you know islam as being you know homophobic in fact this group is extraordinarily homophobic they uh there was an incident where a teenage boy was captured by followers um young follower other teenagers and they kidnapped him and poured gasoline down his throat and set him on fire so he burned alive from the inside out uh, but nobody was ever brought to, uh, was never arrested or, or brought to justice for this murder, though the police kind of knew who was involved. But, but the, the, they, they firebombed a few years ago, a Palestinian home killed a mother, father, and child. The child's picture now is brought out on display at marriage ceremonies for various Kahanists. Um, I mean, it's just depraved. It's insane, um, an insane level of depravity. And if you think I'm exaggerating, I'm not. Please watch the David Sheehan lecture. And and but but there's a if you Google our <clears throat> wonderful listeners, if you Google um, <clears throat> Israeli politicians in their own words you will be taken to a site that has compiled uh you know quotes some short some moderately lengthy uh from all the current politicians and they are all nakedly uh, uh racist colonialist and um and violent and and but but the stuff you don't see on western media are these representatives talking one guy said what why do I'm so surprised that people care about the death of Palestinian children? They don't matter. I mean, he says this. This is an elected official. Anyway, Johan. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 not exaggerating. I, I think because if we sort of race our views somewhat, we see, we see the same same patterns of political composition all over the West as in in for example israel here in in sweden the the i think the second largest party has roots in in nazis nazism in germany the afd is gaining i i think they're the third or, or second largest political force in the parliament yeah in france Front national is the second largest party in in spain the largest party is an ex francoist um, far-right union same thing in in, in poland and in, in eastern europe in turkey 
maybe Varun could say something about the politics of of, uh, of India because they're also leaning far right as as I understand it and like to to further raise the raise the view somewhat what is this phenomenon of the emerging far right what what are we dealing with in general as as a major societal phenomenon as as a as an emergent force, what well, what is this? How is this, how how could we how can we define it and approach it? Or you want to go first? No, go me? no, go ahead. Okay. Um, I read a couple of articles today about the police in India, um, going to mosques and warning the imams not to use the word Palestine in their prayers. For example, um, so and there's been many um, rallies, pro-Palestine rallies that have been not given permission to be in the streets, of course. Um, one such, I'm not sure whether they asked for police permission, but a lot of people were arrested in Hyderabad, in the city of Hyderabad, in this one of these bigger kind of streets where they were protesting. Um, which was a pro-Palestine uh, protest. So, I mean, I think I've we've talked about the rise of the right wing before on the podcast, and I think we've all noticed it in the last decade, I think. Yeah. But it's weird that it's connected very strongly to how capitalism requires neoliberalism to survive. Because all of these people are rabid neoliberal <laughs> promoters, right? All of them. But they are also very racist. And so that in that sense, it becomes clear that the, like what we call the Great Reset and the New World Order and so on and so forth, the agenda starts becoming very clear about what they're actually trying to do. It's trying to get from... Um, if we have to take any clues from the articles uh, article that Corey has posted and do a bit of research about what these kind of absolutely fanatical minds are thinking, the line, for example, is uh, as much land as possible with as less Arabs as possible or something like this, right? Like that's how these people are thinking, right? So I think the depopulation agenda is attached to it, of course, but it's also this kind of racial cleansing that has infiltrated into a lot of governments somehow, and there's a lot of support for it somehow. Yeah. But my problem with that, I mean, well, the, con the contention here is also that because neoliberalism has forced a lot of people outside of their comfort zones, promising them things that have never been delivered, in fact, and has driven people very much into farther into debt and life has become miserable and unhappy there will always be support for people who are now suddenly looking for national resurgence and there will be support for those kind of movements which are largely optics because the undercurrent is always going to be going to remain with the powerhouses of the big tech the big agri the big pharma and so on and so forth so that I think that those lines have to be made very clear in the public's mind, and I don't think many people are doing that. No. Um, Corey? 
I wanted to add even the the name of the operation that started that Hamas launched on October seventh, Operation Alaska Flood. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Alaska, Alaska Flood. <laughs> I mean, that's you know. Then when I'm reading about all this, I mean, a, a lot of people might know all this stuff, and I just don't know it. But that's all about the Alaska Mosque which is so important to Palestinians. And this, this party with, with Veer at, at the front, at the forefront, have been antagonizing the Palestinians, going to the sacred mosque and going in it and um, you know, spitting on Palestinians and they go and and you know, threatening that they're, you know, not just threatening, planning that they want to basically tear it down and replace it with their own holy temple and all this stuff that they the, I I mean it it gets really into um, there's just so much going on behind this all this and and I guess I mentioned this because now you're seeing in the past couple of days some articles talking about over two hundred thousand people in Israel now have been have um, applied for gun licenses so they're issuing seventeen hundred weapons each day to citizens of Israel. I mean, they want, this party wants a civil war, right? They want like mass, mass bloodshed, you know, like there's yeah. something well, that the world- they say that, yeah. They yeah, say yeah. That. yeah. And, and, you know, so now you've got, I mean, what's going to happen here? You've got citizens now being what, you know, the Israel citizens now are taking up weapons. Um, you've got this crazy- fucking crazy i mean the level of depravity is something i can't even articulate it's so sick yeah and i just don't know where this is going i mean it's already a bloodbath it's already clearly ethnic cleansing a genocide um you know the whole world's just pretending that israel's being persecuted here it's just fucking insane it's not just yeah. that Israel is being persecuted. I think it's also like when we were talking earlier, is that you have to, ex now we have come to a point where the public has to be explained fucking history of the place. It's yeah, amazing. It's Talk about what that woman about said. What's been happening. Yeah. Talk about what that woman said, what we we're talking about earlier. The, the UN. Yeah, <clears throat> um, yeah. Let yeah. me find that for you very quickly. Um, <clears throat> her name is Francesca Albanese, uh, UN Special Rapporteur. <laughs> I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. On the occupied Palestinian territories, and somebody asked her a question. Her response was, Israel cannot claim the right of self-defense mm. against a threat that emanates from the territory it occupies from a territory that is kept under belligerent occupation, close quote. Um, and they, yeah, that's a wonderful quote. And so there, there are cracks appearing uh, in the facade of, of certainly more than cracks in the, the facade of, of uh, Israeli, uh, the only, you know, democracy in the Middle East. And they're really, they're, the most moral military in the world. I hope that has all been put to rest forever, and I think it has. Um, the thing that is most disturbing for me 
has been because I Netanyahu's very unpopular in Israel, um, wildly unpopular. And there's protests outside of his house because people want him gone. The problem is Itamar Ben-Gavir is not widely unpopular, and this party is not wildly unpopular. It's growing in popularity. And you, you have to look at that, that these fanatic right-wing parties the, the party of Meyer Kahana and Baruch Goldstein and, and all of these people, um, Moisha Fagelin, I mean, there is a number of them. Uh, they have had a huge influence on the educational system in Israel. They have carried out uh, a kind of crypto a revolution in uh, education, and they have indoctrinated a couple of generations now of young Israelis. And you see them uh, in the military. The other thing that happened was the settler militias, which were organized by Ben Gavir, by the way, the settler militias merged with the IDF. So the IDF is effectively uh, run by uh, uh, the Ben Gavir's party. And uh, so you have this two generations of Israeli youth. And if you watch social media, TikTok and Instagram, all of these Israeli teenagers are mocking the dead babies at the hospital. There was a girl with bad um, bruises on her face, bad makeup, and she's weeping and laughing and she's holding a what's supposed to be a baby, but it's a grapefruit with a dead face painted on it, X'd out eyes. And this is this is what they they post. Uh, I've never seen anything like this. And you see the IDF soldiers dancing and partying and singing songs about, boy, how come Mohammed hasn't helped you guys? Har, har, har. And so there's two things. And then I want to turn it over to Johan here. Two things. One is that's really disturbing that because I think most Israeli youth are very indoctrinated. I'm not getting a sense that there's a youth left in Israel or an anti, uh, you know, Gavir movement from the young. Um, the second thing is that the arrogance and the entitlement coming from Israeli politicians and soldiers and, and military leaders right now is 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 just you know I, my favorite adjective is jaw dropping. They speak to you as if they're not saying outrageous things. It's very arrogant. They know mm -hmm. they are saying outrageous things because it flies in the face of historically any moral covenant or or you know set of you know moral code that any society has ever had abhors the murdering of children for example and yet here they make comments making fun of it with a sort of straight face they know this is provoking responses and they don't care there's a there's this weird sense of invulnerability in these people and my final thought for you know, the other thing is and this is sounds weird to say, but they are extraordinarily unappealing people 
I mean, they're all overweight almost, you know. Gavir walks around with, he always has a shirt tail out uh, of his pants because his gut's hanging over and sweaty as he's always sweaty, always looks uh, like he's, his shirt is three days old. These are not charismatic, appealing, um, the normal idea of, 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 you know, Che Guevara, they're not. You know, I mean, they're they're these fat, fanatic, weirdly out of touch, crazy people, and they have they have taken conducted a palace coup essentially um, in Israel. We shouldn't forget that you know Israel's always been a racist colonialist state, no doubt, but it's it's tilted into cuckooville now. Um, Johan. Mm. Yeah, I agree that that what we're seeing is unhinged to to a, a degree we we're not accustomed to to experiencing, and there's an amoral character to it that it sort of approaches the, this kind of explicit child sacrifice that that some cultures have have practiced, but but most won't, you know. But I, I wanted to, to connect to what Varun said uh, on um, the emergence of, of authoritarianism. And I think it's entirely true that these uh, authoritarian movements with simplistic political solutions, they emerge in, in um, context of crisis and, and hardship. But, but there's also a, that, this thing we call fascism. And I want to throw this out to Hiroyuki and John. This thing we call fascism is a particular beast, I think. And I'll just give you a suggestion here. I'll say that fascism is a generational and collective trauma response, specifically within the political culture and within the, the auxiliary worldviews of capitalism. And we're seeing this clearly exemplified in the Israeli context now. What do you say about that suggestion? Um, Hiroyuki, do you want to? Well, answer? yeah, of course. I mean, that's that's. I mean, I see fascism um, uh, as a part of capitalism. It's uh, um, it's a design to forward the interests of the corporate uh, entities, and uh, mm -hmm. it's a it's a very obvious expression of that. And uh, uh, on the other. X uh, uh, spectrum, uh, we have social democracy, uh, a, you know, benign form of uh, coercion and uh, 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 capitalist domination uh, in the name of, uh, you know, equality and uh, all that. Um, so, um, I mean, you know, it, but the, the thing we, we should look at here is that the um, uh, Israel as uh, the imperial project to forward the interests of Middle East um, is coming to the end. Um, it's, you know, it's sort of becoming obvious. Uh, they've been doing it for 75 years. Uh, they have served as a hub of the uh, uh, Western interest in the area. And uh, um, things are changing and uh, things are, um, so what we are seeing is perhaps the uh, the last uh, gasp of 
the uh, the fascism, you know, all, all all kinds of extreme things are um, uh, putting forward, you know, becoming obvious. They 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 want to uh, force it through, but at the same time, it doesn't seem to be. And when we look at the U.S., uh, what U.S. always do is that it uses the proxy uh, entities and. Um, uh, when something happens, something conflict happens, the U.S. would come in and mediate a neutral, you know, wise uh, entity that's going to solve, that's going to come up with peace agreement and all that. And uh, so I, I guess there is an attempt to separate the uh, imperial structure from what Israel is doing. And this is going to... Uh, funnel all these angers and frustration into, uh, you know, it, it's anti-Zionism, but it has been uh, laundered into um, anti-Semitism. And this has been driving force of Israel, along with the fact that the Muslims have been demonized. And um, so how, you know, it's interesting how, you know, the whole thing is gonna, um, um, unfold at this time when the whole thing they the the usefulness of israel is coming to the end you know no yeah. yeah. well there's so many things i want to say um there, we have a dozen topics here um but Corey, and then Bruce. yeah well i just want to touch point on what you said about um the coup of the israel government not, you know touching upon netanyahu i mean it's just sort of crazy um Veer makes Netanyahu look like a docile schoolboy. And I just want to uh, mention something the Times of Israel reported 10 days ago that Netanyahu, Netanyahu wanted to buy our heritage minister uh, of Israel for saying one of Israel's options in the war against Hamas is to nuke Gaza. But then he buckled following opposition from Gavir. Right. So, and I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? That not, not Yahoo folded um, yeah. and under him. So it just goes to show like who's really captured the power here. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's um, enormously powerful right now. It, it's a much like he's consolidated power in a way that's not really unlike Bin Salman in, in, um, in Saudi Arabia. Um, Varun? I just want to say, I think I, what uh, Johan brought up, uh, the idea of trauma and how that leads to um, this aspect of fascism. I, I've, lit, I've read quite a lot of literature on narcissism and psychopathy and a lot of it um, is sort of delving into this fact of unresolved psychic trauma, emotional trauma, when it's unresolved and it's bent up, it eventually manifests the thing that it hated the most. Mm, yeah. So well, it starts um, becoming this kind of violent um, carry forward and very unconscious move of the identity that has gone through it. Not that it, this is a... I mean, how unconscious do you have to be to say to want the heads of babies from hospitals that you're bombing or that you've put snipers on. 
that becomes yeah. the question then right like and then then what kind of a society have we become internationally where there is even a debate about this that whether this is justifiable so in the sense that i mean if we are in a very severely traumatized society where these things have to be hacked out to be to, to make sense to have um any sort of compassion then i think like Hiroyuki was saying i think we're at a very ripe moment where all those things can start unpacking um I mean, uh, there's yeah, also I, like idf forces like all these people man like they've they come to india they are in all these kind of hippie tourist spots they're running restaurants with only hebrew uh, menus where indians are not allowed right like they've thrown indian people out of restaurants that they are running in india so yeah. and that's you know somehow okay that's somehow fine so well yeah. but this is but okay i i several things um i feel like what you just described varun is what i've been writing about for 10 years actually um yeah uh, the, and this is really important in a sense, and and <laughs> it's why I'm a Freudian, and why Freud is so dangerous to the status quo. Uh, mm. We're looking at uh, uh, the reemergence of mid 20th century fascism in yeah. in, a, in a new guise. And yeah. it quite literally, of course, never was wiped out. Look up, and you guys know this, but for those listening, look up Operation Paperclip. Um, the U.S. and to a lesser degree, the Soviet Union uh, poached all the best Nazi scientists and brought them to the United States, gave them high-ranking uh, and well-paid jobs in various institutions, many in the government, some in NATO, all over the place. Werner von Braun became the face of Disneyland for a while, which fits because Walt Disney was a fascist after all. So it, 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 not, Nazism never disappeared. It was absorbed and dispersed and, and went underground, but it didn't stop operating. That's one thing. The second track that's very important to, to, to remember is the American eugenics movement that began a hundred years before that, uh, which Hitler was an avid uh, uh, reader of and supporter of and admirer of all the eugenics operations. Um, people don't realize because it's an embarrassment now that women, black poor women were being forcibly sterilized against their will up through the 1970s in southern states people don't talk about this you just have to look at uh the prison system to understand america and there's a very good article by a guy on death row in covert action magazine james anderson um who's still on death row uh innocent of his crime of course and but read the article uh at any rate you know these things are on parallel tracks and 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 so there was there was 
after World War II, an enormous social, you know, transformation going on. When we got to the 60s, there was a moment of liberation in a sense, and it was quickly squashed and turned into its opposite within 10 years. And we had the rise of, of, uh, of in sort of digital capital, eventually all the precursors to that. And uh, everybody knows this story. And there was finally a crash in 2008 and blah, blah, blah. But, but the point is that that sensibility, that value system, that white supremacist system that drove was the engine for 250 years of colonialism. Remember that all of Africa was owned by different countries in Europe. All of South America, all of South Asia was owned by white people in Europe. And they extracted a brutal toll on these people. Everyone should know the Belgian Congo story uh, in which workers who uh, didn't meet the quota for the rubber company that King Leopold had, had their hands chopped off or one hand, because two hands would make them totally useless, then that wasn't effective enough. So I think they started chopping off the hands of their children. Um, but you can still go into chocolate stores in uh, big cities in Belgium and buy little chocolate hands um, as, a, as a, you know, I don't know, a memory of your, your trip to Belgium. Uh, the stuff never disappeared. It's people have just pretended, media has just pretended that this stuff disappeared. The white supremacism, the extraordinary racism of, of the United States. We see it today in police departments, in, in the prison system, in the criminal justice system. Last time I looked, there, there or like a few years ago, there was, I don't think there was one federal uh, a prosecutor who was black everybody was white and they're trying mostly black defendants but anyway those statistics are available there's an i'll put a number of books about that in the links so so when i say i've been writing about this for 10 years yeah the the this is what has to be looked at now what has what has the deterioration in education in the in the social fabrics been unraveled People have less security, less sense of hope. You have an extraordinary uh, overprescription of antidepressants, psychotropics, and tranquilizers. You have illegal drugs. Now you have 10 million people on the streets of America homeless. And the media pretends none of this is actually happening. And the public has a strange compartmentalizing mechanism that keeps doesn't connect the dots to any of those people so yes it's unconscious absolutely and to to analyze that unconscious is i think of critical importance but nobody can read anymore so and nobody does so you know it's it's a, it's well, well, a I mean, monumental no, undertaking okay that's the yeah answer. i'll just yeah no i'll just add to this because i think what's also happened is that like you mentioned, most of the what is now called the global south was colonized. 
But after supposedly all these empires ended and we ended up with the, our so-called democracies, the entire global south was still being mined for what it's worth, mm -hmm. but it was also yeah, being sold the idea that you can have the life of the white people. That is what the game was, right? So then you drive them into debt and depression and division and so on and so forth. You destroy their communities from the inside out. And when then they're like in, in for example, I can speak for India from what little I have seen is that when the communities unconsciously even start noticing that there is a deterioration so deep within rural India even, that a right-wing party, which is going to preserve heritage and culture and tradition and religion and so on and so forth, is promising the, that very thing, but with the privilege of the life that is being sold by the West, that becomes the perfect formula. And that's why they've been able to survive for two terms, I think, in India. And that is what is dangerous about, I think. And I think it goes with, it is embedded very deep within neoliberalism is the appropriation tactic, which we have spoken about so much over so many podcasts. It, that will, it will take anything and use it for its own advantage as long as it can survive. So in that sense, I think, yeah. Man. Well, you know, just my... And then I, I want Hiroyuki and, and Johan and others, Corey, to talk. But uh, remember that you're absolutely right, Varun, that by and large, after the wars of liberation uh, across Africa, many in South America, South Asia, that colonialism was thrown off, independence took hold. The United States was still making sure that like they assassinated Lumumba. He was too left wing. You couldn't have him take that over. They replaced him with Mobutu, as I recall, uh, one of the worst dictators of the century. The U.S. made sure to keep dictators in power. These puppet governments across the planet uh yeah. were were kept in power the school of the americas those of you not familiar google school of the americas uh we trained the death squads that that the south american dictators supported by the united states subsidized by the united states uh that those dictators used to squash violently any kind of uh, social unrest or movement to uh, to get rid of their their you know the jackboot of of these 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 dictators who were doing the work for American companies like United Fruit and you know the list is endless uh, that that was the story and we see this now with the Israeli. Gaza situation. Where are the Arab countries? Where, where? Well, the Arab leaders are largely taken from the Arab ruling class. They are uh, subsidized and friends with 
the uh, capitalists and national global, you know, uh, transnational corporations that that and and all the U.S. global institutions, including the U.N. All of this is part of of a great, uh, you know, that's the word I'm looking for. The the fabric of oppression. Um, they play a key role. These Arab leaders and and they are not. There and when an Arab leader comes to power who is defiant, like Gaddafi, he is eventually murdered because it, he just posed too much of a threat. He was trying to help his people have a clean water project, an African uh, gold standard, a currency, trans-African currency. This was unacceptable. So Hillary Clinton got on the phone and sent the hit squads out and they got rid of Gaddafi. Um, th this is this is the sometimes people say to me, why, why do you hate your country so much? I don't hate my country, first of all. There's a lot of stuff about the United States I love and I miss all of it cultural. Um, but I hate the politics of of imperialism and I hate the violence that has been visited upon the global south by my country for a hundred years. Yeah, I hate that. It's appalling and it's largely why I don't live in the United States anymore. Hero Yuki? Um well, I, I, I was going to add to what Valun was saying about the uh, uh, unconscious kind of support uh, people would give, you know, which is stemming from the fact that the uh, um, authorities in internalized, uh, as Freud talked about, uh, ego and super uh, ego and super ego, uh, super ego would be the um, uh, prevalent um, authority, and uh, if you are living in the framework you incorporate those things and unconsciously you just go along with it because everything is structurally uh, maintained, systematically maintained. But um, I think there is a uh, um, uh, role of consciousness uh, here as well, um, which is basically making a deal with the uh, mafia empire, uh, which is imposing protection racket. I mean, you know that you know, you're dealing with the mafia, you know, you're, you're a scary entity. Uh, but if you don't pay for it, you, you're going to be in trouble. So this is a conscious, uh, you know, support, you know, it's a coercion. It's a, you know, it's an unpleasant thing, but I mean, nobody wants to be, you know, targeted by uh, mafia organizations. Your house shouldn't be burning up and, um, and it's the same way. Um, you don't want to be targeted by um, authority. You don't want to you lose your job. Uh, you don't want to you lose your positions. You know, we went through this with COVID. We went through this with uh, um, um, uh, the Ukraine. And uh, and now we're going through it with, uh, you know, you don't want to be called anti-Semitic, you know? And this is, this is we, we know that. So, so you know, the, it's like, um, it's like the establishment is using this uh, uh, Freudian, uh, uh, you know, uh, idea yeah, well, to course. impose, course, yeah. you know, and also uh, when we look at the resistance, um, people unconsciously support uh, uh, um, the uh, imperial forces uh, by 
saying that you have to stand with Ukraine because Russians are, you know, doing this or that. And uh, this is unconscious because you know, people don't know, you know? And well, that's yeah. yeah. And this is there's another case. People consciously resist the forces when there's no option. You uh -huh. know, when you're cornered and your life will be in danger either way. You you're gonna resist. That's what's happening to the people in uh, Gaza. So you know. So look, as as John was saying, the Freudian theory of the psychoanalysis. This is a scary thing for for people, along with the fact that the uh, uh, unfolding of the uh, imperial structure is a scary thing because you know it connects everything and. You know, it's not. It's no longer about the um, uh, religious issue between Jews and the Muslims. It's mm -hmm. about the imperial forces imposing those imperatives onto those people, mm -hmm. making them fight for the profit and perpetuation of the imperial structure. So you know, it, it comes back to the same thing. You know, the people don't understand this. Um, the structure and you know structure you know our exterior structure and the interior structure of uh how we are and it's it's really important to uh, look at that and talk about it you that's, know that's, well that's why yeah, marx think... and freud are are not on reading lists on nobody's syllabus anymore but let me go to corey's got her hand yeah. up here for a while corey. well i just want to add to what hiroyuki's saying and um, remind people that Haiti is also occupied and they're sort of, you know, um, invisible, you know, in world consciousness right now. And right now, um, U.S. is making a deal with Kenya to have Kenya go into Haiti and intervene, um, <clears throat> you know, because Haiti is resisting. They're actually fighting for their lives. They're occupied. And there, I'm going to give you a link, John, to put under the podcast to a um, article. Let me see if I can see it. It's on Wrong Kind of Green, and it's a lecture by Jemima Peer. Um, and it's all about the West with the backing, you know, actually hiding behind the UN Security Council to intervene in Haiti. Um, when you look up Haiti in the news, Basically, the latest thing, a math teacher who became powerful Haitian gang leader has been killed. So, you know, that's probably um, resistance, well, right? That's probably yeah. someone resisting a freedom fighter. Why would a math teacher become a Haitian yeah. gang leader, right? And, and this sort of leads to something I, I thought was an interesting question by um, Stop Green Colonialism. Um, on Twitter, and she asked the question, why are so many Westerners reluctant to support armed resistance to defeat, to defeat Zionism, right? Like why, again, we ask the same question, why is the state allowed, um, you know, to, why is the state allowed violence? And then if you resist your terrorists, well, this reminds me of two things very quickly. And, and one is uh, uh, the state always has a monopoly on violence. And liberals, the liberal 
this is why it's so hard to have conversations with people who say, but we, we, we have to have a ceasefire. Or they'll say things like, well, you know, capitalism is so unfair, we need to tax the rich much, much more. And, and there's a whole set of those. No, taxing the rich, I want to get rid of the rich. I don't want there to be any rich. I don't want to tax them. That money doesn't go to me, it doesn't help me. Um, and, and uh, but, but you know, the, the another one is gun control, right? Get guns off the street because the only people that should have guns are the racist police departments. Jeez, everybody knows that. Um, all of those things are are bromides in in support of the status quo, mm -hmm. and 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 you know this is I I feel like there's you know certain figures George Jackson comes to I mean <laughs> people should just go back and read George Jackson that would be part of your education. Um, on any of the Panthers. I mean, Stokely Carmichael on Zionism is, is brilliant, you know, um, and, and, but, but the, the, the other factor with Israel, I'm finding anyway, when I talk to people with Israel and uh, Gaza with the Muslim is the deep, 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 Islamophobia. This is just the racism again. People cannot um, bring themselves to openly support uh, uh, any kind of Muslim. Some of this was is is nine eleven fallout still, but it's but it's obviously goes much much further back. Look, we have a, a profoundly racist. United States criminal justice system, prison system. I could give you all the numbers that are staggeringly um, uh, the disproportionate jailing of of black and Latinos compared to white people. There's no rich people in jail, by the way, anywhere uh, in the U.S. And if you're rich and you are somehow convicted of a crime, you go to a country club prison. How is that democratic? How is that democratic? If if you're one of the, the guys in the Wall Street, can, you know, you're convicted of insider trading and sentenced to a year in prison, you go serve it in a country club prison, prison somewhere. It's very comfortable, minimum secure. You do not go to Rikers Island or Marion, Illinois or San Quentin or any of the, you don't go there. Those guys don't go there ever, ever, ever. That's, and yet that doesn't bother people, right? It, it, I, I'm always kind of at a loss to understand why that unfairness doesn't bother people. Anyway, okay. Um, but Cora, you were, I think, in the middle of something, or Varun, you were going to say yeah. something. One of you, Corey. No, I didn't have my hand up. Okay. No, I was Did I? Do I? No, 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 no. Okay. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's just another example of how movements are appropriated, like social consciousness movements are appropriated by the establishment. Like the Gandhian ideology of nonviolent protest or what Mandela was talking about, which was like, let's not get violent. I mean, that's the last option. But how the establishment then kind of, <laughs> it lets that, ideology breed within the public. It funds projects which are going to breed that ideology in the public. It's going to, and all the while, 
the military industrial complex is still going to continue manufacturing all the weapons they want. They're going to continue bombing all the countries that are going to oppose them. And everybody else has to be just passive. And that's a brilliant example of post-Second World War. A portrait of the world is quite brilliant in that sense, if that has to be an example of how appropriation actually works. You know, speaking of Haiti, uh, it, people should remember uh, that Aristide was led out of his country uh, at gunpoint by the U.S. Marine Corps. And Aristide was a slum priest and formed the Lavalis party that was made up mostly of uh, slum women from the slums in Haiti, Port-au-Prince. And uh, Aristide was in some ways a kind of reluctant leader of this, but the Clintons were the ones that went in and plundered Haiti and made sure to get rid of Aristide. And as I recall, the breaking point was that he wanted to uh, increase minimum wage in the sweatshop factories that were making T-shirts, which is a big item in Haiti. He just wanted like, yeah, you know, a nickel more an hour. And the Clintons made sure he was gotten rid of. Um, that's, that's, yeah, that's the story. Johan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about something here you said, that when, when we're up against the wall, we are going to, to fight, we're going to struggle. And I, I think an important observation to make here is that, that we're, we're kind of already up against the wall and, and one of the system's neatest tricks here is to convince us that we are not, that we are, we are, we have all these fruits of progress and, and, and uh, comfort to, to harvest if we just obey. But, but I mean, technically all of us are really in some sense living in a situation equivalent to that of the people in, in Gaza, except maybe not as extreme. I mean, we, we, we have, all of us are gonna die in a few decades and the options we have are to, to, to uh, obey the system and, and enter into some sort of, of servitude or slavery or, or rebelling acid and, and, and go to prison or, or face other, other dire circumstances. And one thing the, the COVID situation managed to emphasize within the framework of biopolitics was if we're, we're if, if we just obey enough we're not we're going to be safeguarded from from even death if, if we just submit we're going to to the system will grant us life everlasting through the the, the extension of, of healthcare and and medical technology and all of that so, so my point, well, my point is that we're we're kind of up against the wall already, and we're not seeing it. So, where do we draw the line, really? Where, where, where do we, where do we, uh, yeah? What's the absolute basing we need to make to realize that we actually, we don't have much time here, and we need to do something if we're going to do anything. Well, see, I think I think that, um, and maybe others have thoughts on this too. I, it, 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 there is a there is a there is a kind of a false uh, rhetorical gambit that people use, and and we've seen it happen 
because they're the public is by and large taught to to think this way uh well do you condemn hamas do you condemn their atrocity i'm not in a position to condemn anybody frankly but i'm i i condemn the occupation and i can't condemn anybody that's living under an occupation for anything they do i can't do that because i cannot imagine the nightmare that that must be but the, on the question of violence this is a very this is a very tricky i mean adorno is is much criticized for this sometimes but um you look at the black panthers and they they achieved an enormous amount an enormous amount and and they they raised the consciousness of their community they educated people they changed the dynamics of of life in america to a huge degree and yet most of them were killed eventually by the state or put in prison or driven out of the country uh power is really consolidated and to fight back does not necessarily mean grabbing your pistol and going to shoot up IBM or something, because you'll just get shot dead. And I don't want to get shot dead particularly, but uh, I it's not because I care about my oppressor or the people that are cheating me or making my life miserable or or the, perhaps the future of you know my children's lives and and the futures they look toward I, that's a it worries me a great deal but it's why i always end up coming back to education and and but there's even a reluctance god trying to get um trying to get people on board with with educational projects outside of institutions i'm finding is is very difficult uh, and and it's part of this this trained apathy that people have internalized partly the people of the west uh it's it's a it i don't know but it's that's to me the the most revolutionary thing one can do now besides you know boycotts and all the usual things and everybody should be boycotting anything in the coming out of israel by the way tourism has been completely wiped out for israel yeah. they're they're going to have a very hard time because people are spontaneously boycotting israeli products right now uh the world is not fooled by and large no matter what western leaders say uh i think the you know and we see it with the protests million people on the streets in london that's extraordinary given the, the British government is trying to criminalize dissent uh, in this particular case. Uh, but but beyond that, it seems like you can't go up against the, the, the wealth. The transference of wealth to the top 1% is complete. The 1% own everything. I mean, George Carlin was right about this. They already own everything. And what else do they want? They want more. Um, and that was a, a great quote of his. They do. They want more. They want it all. And when they have it all, they'll still want more. The ruling class operates as it's the, it's the logic of capitalism. Lenin knew that. Marx knew that. Uh, it's, it's, it, it is a, an a absolute 
kind of a truth, an unshakable truth. And, and so given that fact, uh, the, you, you can't, revolution means something different now looking forward. And I think it's a long, slow, uh, a very slow motion revolution. And it's very difficult for people. I, I talk to people all the time and I, I, you know, people back in the United States, a lot of whom are leaving, in fact, it's not easy, but you have to start making changes and, and commit to my mind. This is my belief. I'm not, you know, casting aspersions on anyone, but you have to you have to make a commitment to to uh, to educate to, the toward pedagogy, especially the young, to you know deprogramming, deindoctrination. I mean, it really is important, and in some tiny, tiny, minuscule way, I'd like to think that's what this podcast does. But uh, but it's hard, man. It's hard. Um, Hiroyuki and then Baruch. I, I, so I, I, uh, I was talking. I was talking about the uh, fascism and the social democracy within the uh, uh, the mainstream uh, uh, population. But when we look at the whole structure, we we already have fascism um, for the uh, oppressed people. You know, people are living on streets. People are uh, struggling with um, drug epidemics, and uh, people can't go on day by day because of uh, economic situations. Uh, they are living under fascist um, structure. And the, the rich people who have everything, they are living in socialism. So, you know, we, we, we I mean, it's, it's all there structurally. We already have it. So the notion of the uh, fascists are coming, um, we're going to be living in a uh, dystopic universe of uh, uh, total control and uh, all those things, you know, sort of sound like uh, people who are privileged, fearing their uh, privilege taken away, while, uh, you know, fascism is already here. Fascism is already here in country, uh, mm. you know, torn yeah. with war and everything, you know. So... So that's why it's really important to understand the structural mechanism of capitalism to impose this uh, caste system, basically, you know? Yeah, well, it is a caste system. You have to be able, you have to be able to have conversations with people about climate, for example, like we did with COVID, and say, but but this isn't this isn't about climate, right? Um, and you show all the contradictions and so forth. These, these, these are all, these are all marketing campaigns to scare people and keep you from organizing. Why can't those ten million people on the streets in America organize? They, they would have enormous power. But, but you know, Johan, you know why they can't organize? So, I mean, if you. If you post something about Palestine or, or Gaza in, in social media, it gets uh, shadow banned. It gets right. pushed way, way down in, in people's feeds. 
And the thing is that they don't have to like ban everything or censor everything with these keywords. They just need to push it down sufficiently so the dominant narrative gets characterized in, in a certain way. And then almost everybody falls in line. So, so the digital media's structure, architecture, and the way that that generative AI is, is moderating the discourse, that, that's an important part of why we can't meaningfully organize that this right. moment That's, in history. Yeah. 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 Um, Varun, and then I guess yeah, like, comments from you. Yep. Like you were saying, John, I think it's, uh, I mean, this kind of slow motion revolution is actually everyday conversations one-to-one -one with people where you're able to yeah. parse propaganda from yeah. the reality. That's what it looks like to be now. <laughs> I mean, it's just an everyday battle, man. Yeah, I think, I really think, I really believe, I want to find funding for the what Johan and I have talked about now for a while, you know, the people's university, but also the people's, you know, high school, people's yeah. grammar school. <laughs> um, I, I, I want weekends with fourth graders for uh, history lessons. I mean, because that's, because it's necessary, you know. Um, it, 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 that's what has to happen. Anyway, last thoughts and and just a sort of final comment on the Gaza thing. Uh, it, 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 it's the most horrifying uh, event, most horrifying two weeks I can remember in my life ever. Gabor Mate said that's the worst thing he's ever seen. Um, I think about it when I wake up in the morning, and and I'm. I'm stunned when I engage with somebody who supports this Israeli government. Somebody accused me, what are you, some kind of hater? I don't want to be around somebody who hates. I said, I'm, I want to stop the slaughter of children. That makes me a hater. Okay, you know. Uh, that person was a woman I knew from Los Angeles was okay not the sharpest pencil in the cup but but she doesn't know what she's i mean she's just mouthing stuff this is this is what this comes us back to psychoanalysis again the the original radical psychoanalysts in the vienna circle under freud and different ones over the years uh that's important stuff and Guy Debord knew that and Althusser knew that and and uh, these are the people that everybody should be reading and 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 Marx you can't mm -hmm. understand any of it without at least an introductory course on as here on understanding what capitalism is that there's a built-in exploitation I mean this is so obvious but but a lot of people need to hear it again I think so the in in terms of that I I agree that I don't think Israel can come back from this the damage is done. I don't think, I don't think they're, I don't see how they continue. And if somebody like Ben Gavir becomes prime minister, not impossible. Uh, they throw Netanyahu in jail. Then what happens? Uh, we're already watching a genocide. Raz Segal said it's a textbook genocide. I'm going to put all these links. Miko Pellin, Elon Pafe, all of these guys who are Israeli themselves. And watch the David Sheen lecture. Uh, 
that's that was the intention the united states knew that was the intention the occupation has gone on to such for so many years to such a degree that 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 the u.s leadership and israeli leadership had to absolutely know uh eruptions were going to keep happening and attacks were going people fight back uh and the the conditions were intolerable for Palestine is absolutely intolerable. So uh, uh, I think, I don't know, I can't predict, but I think, uh, I think Israel, as we know it, cannot continue to exist. The pure Jewish Zionist state cannot continue. I don't see how it can. Uh, 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 at some point, there's going to be enough unrest in the arab world to to make that those those uh puppet leaders nervous and they're going to they're going to have to do something and join together somehow to do something the saudis can't keep buying weapons from the u.s that they don't have pilots for or soldiers i mean the whole thing is such colossal like cuckoo house but but it's not going to stop right away and and i i don't know what you know i don't know what's going to happen to the remaining palestinians but it doesn't look good any final thoughts from anybody Reed, okay we'll all speak at once <laughs> i was just gonna say man I've, I've been reading a lot of a lot of sufi mystic poetry that really helps quite a lot in this time because they had some things going on for them that not a lot of people do yeah yeah, yeah. Bly was a big he, he translated some of it um, i feel like there is a change happening though i feel just something is changing and i can't really articulate it except for to say if right now this winter if you know if they were declare if they were to declare another pandemic like the last time where people went out everyone bought everything the grocery store shelves were bare <clears throat> people were you know went in supplies bought it all i think this time it would be way different where people would yeah. storm the grocery yeah. stores and take everything and leave yep. Yep. and i think there, there's a huge difference that people recognize that their um governments are no longer um civil servants right they do not serve civilians they do not serve the populace they do not serve those that um go to the voting booths and elect them i think that's over i feel like by and large the majority of people now understand that the government is um serves corporate power and the capitalist system itself um capital they do not yeah. serve people i think that is becoming very clear to most everyone yeah remember everybody should remember because this election is coming up in the u.s that that uh because if you watch cnn or msnbc there's always oh, all this big excitement and urgency and the importance of you know, what's nikki haley she gained two points and now you know whoever is the other morons that are running oh they've dropped and you know blah blah remember that only at in the in the most 40% of the population votes, and it's usually more like 37% or something vote. 
So if Nikki Haley became president, it's on a mandate of like 19% of the population of the United States. All presidents, that's what happens. And no, Nikki Haley is not going to win. But anyway, the point being that that uh, the media tries to portray electoral politics as having some importance, and it doesn't. It doesn't have any, and uh, not not at the moment anyway. So, um, all right. Uh, anyone else? Okay, I want to thank you all. Thank Jack Lipman in LA too. There's going to be a ton of links. I really hope people that listen to this will look at the links. People need to start with that David Sheehan lecture. Go to Corey's wrong kind of green, uh, and and uh, hopefully it won't be three weeks before our next podcast. Barun, Hiroyuki, Johan, Corey, thank you all. Thank you, Jack, and I'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Don't say that. Yeah. Cause boy, you shouldn't do that.